All right. We've been dealing with the feast for a long time now, and uh, and I'm getting ready to start the uh, the Day of Atonement. And as we approach the Day of Atonement, we've been approaching it because we've been starting to look at the Feast of uh, Tabernacles. And as you look at the Feast of Tabernacles, you have the trumpets that we've been talking about for the last few weeks and and you have the feast the day of atonement the feast of tabernacles and all that makes up the feast and the it's so important to uh to understand this because because it it inside of the body of christ today i think brother mark had went out and done some searches and i had done some looking around at what people were saying about this feast. And, and most of what they were saying was uh, the Feast of Trumpets hadn't happened, the Day of Atonement hadn't happened, and the Tabernacles was, was over in Glory Land. And there's a big issue with this, folks. There's a big issue with, with one, the fact that the Scripture declares something else is the first big issue. And the second one is then your salvation would be incomplete. If he has not finished the work of atonement as the high priest, then you're in an incomplete salvation. If that's something that's yet to come. And unfortunately, the mindset in a lot of believers, they don't see the finished work of Jesus Christ. They don't understand what he did. And the and because they don't understand it, they don't they can't walk in it. Because we walk, we, we talk about walking by faith, and the faith we're walking in is the faith of the Son of God. So as we begin to understand Him and understand the reality of Christ by the Spirit of God, we begin to walk by faith. You know, that's the, the faith in Christ. So, so as we move in this study, I, I, I want us to turn tonight to John 17, and, and then we're going to go into the book of Hebrews after that. And just for reference, if you want to go back in the Old Testament, I think it's Leviticus 16 and Leviticus uh, maybe 23, where the Day of Atonement is really, really laid out in the Old Testament. I mean, it's probably in many other places, but that's that's there in the in the Old Testament, but in John chapter 17, let's see, verses one through five. Jesus, these words spake Jesus and lifted up, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. So an hour had come. And, it, and what had come was the hour of the cross. But I'll leave that alone or I'll, I'll get off on that. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I have finished the work. 
that thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory that I have with thee before the world was. So because, I'm trying to get comfortable, sorry, this is a finished work. We, we come, because he's finished the work, we come into what he's done. See, see, if I present to you the work is not finished, then we're only in the halfway mark or we're only in the quarter mark. We would, you, you know, and, and, and I believe that's what people is really saying to God's people. We're only a quarter of a way there. But see, Jesus said, I have finished the work. Because I have finished the work, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory that I have with thee before the world was. And if Christians would get a hold of this statement right here, glorify me with thine own self. He come out of God's self and came into the world. That's what he said. He said, I came forth from the Father and came into the world and again, I leave the world and go back to the Father. So he's being glorified with God's own self. Hear that? With the self of God. And in John 6, he asked his disciples, he, he said, if this offends you, when he was telling them to eat his flesh and drink his blood, he says, if this offends you, what if you see me ascend up to where I was before? And I really believe a lot of believers have not seen his ascension. They haven't comprehended it. Ephesians 4 talks about it. That he that descended is the same that ascended up far above all heavens, why did he ascend? That he might feel all things. So in order for him to feel all things, in order for the full intention of God to, to happen, Christ in you, he had to descend into the lower parts of the earth and be made like unto a man. And he had to ascend, having completed the work. Now, Jesus said this before the cross. So, so here in John 17, to me, this is to me, is the high priestly prayer that Jesus probably prayed, and I, don't, and I think it's more than probably in the garden before he was crucified. So when he went out to the garden to pray, you read about it in the other Gospels. I believe if you study John 14 or maybe 13 through 17, 18, you realize this is all transpiring together. That they're, that they're in, in John 13, 14, I believe they're at what we call the Last Supper. And then Jesus is 
is in this place of prayer. And he said, he's like, Father, glorify me that I might glorify thee. How was he going to glorify? How was he going to glorify God any different than he did? I mean, he had already healed the sick, raised the dead, caused the lame to walk, caused the blind to see. So what was he going to do different than what he had already done? Because he, he told him. He told the Father, I've glorified thee on the earth. You know, he had, he had shown that he was of God through the works he had done. So what was going to transpire was that he was going to ascend, to descend in you, to, to indwell you. That in order to feel, and I, and I don't even know that descend and use the right word, to feel you. Because he descended when he, his descent was being made like a man. And see, when he was raised from the dead, before he ascended back into the glory that he was before the world was, Mary wanted to hold on to him in the form that he was in. And Jesus told her, touch me not. For I have not yet ascended. And that ascension is, is back into God. So he can come in the form of the Spirit. And that's what he's done. So he's now in a many-membered man. And he's all over the world. There's nowhere you can go that you can't find Jesus. Nowhere in the world you can go that you can't encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. And say it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Nowhere. Nowhere. Because he feels heaven and earth with himself. Glory to God. So as we look at this day of atonement, we, we have to see in this atonement that he entered in. He entered in to the presence of God, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And, and the fact that he came back out, so to speak, of the presence of God, or even appeared in their midst for 40 days before he went back in, in, a, in his final ascension, before the Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost, was he was confirming that everything was accepted. You know, I, I know there's more in that, but... But everything of the, you know, he had fulfilled the work of the high priest. It, it was done. So no longer was the high priest of Israel on, so to speak, on his throne. The priesthood changed. And it changed to an eternal priesthood. In Hebrews 8, 
I'll get to some of my scriptures, maybe not all of them tonight. But Hebrews 8 says, Now, in the things which we are saying, the chief point is this, or this is the sum. We have such a high priest. So, so if I read Hebrews chapter 1 up to 8, so to speak, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who sat down on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister. And here's what I want to concentrate. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Now, when I go back and take a look at the tabernacle, When Israel came out of Egypt, did they even know there was a tabernacle? No. They're on their way to Canaan land. Right? So the tabernacle, when they come out of Egypt, is not even in view. Okay? God says some things about a sanctuary to them. But when they're coming out of Egypt, they don't have a view of the tabernacle of God. Maybe it's formulating in their head because of, of God bringing them out to worship. But they don't have a view of what it's going to look like, what it is, or anything. So let's read on down here. So Jesus is the minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is necessary that this high priest also have somewhat to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, seeing there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve that which is a copy and shadow of heavenly things. So you stop right here. A copy, so they served, you know, those priests according under the law served a copy and shadow of heavenly things. Even as Moses was warned, is warned of God when he is about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. So, so it had to be exactly to the exact measurements as what God showed it. So they couldn't build the brazen altar and say, oh, we were off a foot, accept it. <laughs> no, it was down to the exact measurements. God told them to the measure. Why, why did he do that? Why didn't he just say, hey, build us a brazen altar, put some golden candlesticks there? Because the measures are speaking of the Lord. Everything in this house was being designed speaking of the Lord Jesus. So it was speaking of. So it had to be measured perfectly, even in the copy. Because the copy had to speak of his perfect work. Had to. Or it wouldn't be a good copy. Wouldn't be a good type. Wouldn't be a good shadow unless it was declaring a perfect work. 
hallelujah, to the Lamb of God. But now at, at verse 6, but now if he obtained a ministry the more excellent by so much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which have been enacted upon better promises. So we're in a better covenant and you can go read the rest of this. But we're in a better covenant. We're in better promises than the old covenant. And, and we're and Jesus is the minister of that. So he's the minister of that covenant, and he's the minister of this house. And I want to concentrate on this house tonight a little bit. And I know most of you all, if not all you all, know this house to a measure. So Exodus 15, 13. Exodus 15 and 13. Bible says, in your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to the holy habitation. The peoples have heard they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistine. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. And here's what, what he purchased them for. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. See, see, this part right here, if God's people could open their eyes and see this, you will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. You're going to bring them in. You're not just coming out of Egypt. You're coming into the mountain of the inheritance of the Lord, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever. So Christ, and as glorious as this old covenant tabernacle is, Christ isn't the minister of it. And we're back here looking at the type of shadow of it because Egypt, Israel came out of Egypt not just to go into Canaan land, but to come to the mountain of God's habitation, to come into his inheritance. Amen. So, and for what purpose? That I might dwell among them. That I might dwell among them. And so in Exodus 25, Verse 8 says, Exodus 25, verse 8, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I might dwell among them according to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furniture, just so you shall construct it. In other words, you're going to do it just like I show you. 
He ain't going to meet with you if this pattern isn't correct. He ain't going to meet with you if this word is incorrect. Or the meeting's not going to be pleasant. (laughs) There's a history in the Bible of them trying to meet with God outside of his word. Go in there and look. It's it's in the in the old covenant. Now we're not in the old covenant, but there's a history there of outside of his word, of of the unpleasantness of it. But verse 21 says of this same chapter 25, 21, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give to you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. So see, God didn't just meet with them anyway. He met with them according to the feasts. He met with them according to the Sabbaths. He met with them according to the word, the law. The law was a representation of the word of God that we're in. He met with them according to that. He didn't meet, they didn't come any way they wanted. They were walking in accordance to the word that Moses gave them. Okay? This is very important to see because we don't come to God but by the word he gave us. See, see, when Jesus declares, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, nobody, no man cometh to the Father but by me, he meant it. He is the word that we receive and we come into God by. So the measurement of our walk with God is measured out in the person of Jesus Christ, just like the measurement of the tabernacle was measured out. That's how our relationships measured with God is the person of Jesus Christ. I really want us to see this. So God measured out the tabernacle. He had a measurement. And it was speaking of the Lord Jesus. So so the brazen altar had to be measured perfectly. And all the sacrifices had to be done according to what God had shown them for it to be a testimony. And when when that thing messed up, what happened to Israel? They, They went into all kinds of bondage. They were delivered over to the kingdoms of the world. Whenever it went out of order, you can go and look at what happened in the scripture. So so the measure is perfect. And so the measure of our relationship with God is absolutely perfect because it is the Lord Jesus. So, so So as we look at him in the fulfillment of the brazen altar, and all the offerings up on the altar, as we, we get a hold of the offerings, they're fulfilled in him, and he's the perfect measure of those offerings. No, no other offering could really, the, 
burnt offering be fulfilled, but in Christ. Only in him is the old man done away with. They could burn all the offerings forever, but the old man could never be done away with until Christ come and was crucified. Neither could the sin offering, neither could the peace offering. And you can go on and on and on because all of those are measured out in the person. So we come to the measures of the person of Christ and we enter into it. He's the priest that brings us into his divine work. That the measure of what he's done is, is revealed and measured in our hearts. Hallelujah. And so as we look at him as the great high priest, he measured out access. Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. And Hebrews 9 refers back to this tabernacle under the first covenant. It says in verse 1, now the first covenant also had regulations for ministry in an earthly sanctuary. That is the tabernacle of Moses, or, he, or you could even say the temple of Solomon, but I believe he's speaking of the tabernacle here. For a tabernacle was set up, and in the first room, which is called the holy place, where, where the lampstand, the table, and the presentation loaves of the showbread. Behind the second curtain was a tent called the most holy place. So you even had a division within the tabernacle. It had the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered with gold on all sides in which was a gold jar containing the manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. The cherubim of glory were above the Ark, shadowing, overshadowing the mercy seat. It is, it is not possible to speak about these things in detail right now. With these things prepared like this, the priests enter the first room repeatedly performing the ministry. So the first room, over and over again, they go in and perform their ministry. But the high priest alone enters the second room. And he does that only once a year and never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed or made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. Now, this is, the, this is even an issue today. That first tabernacle was taken off the earth in 70 A.D., However, in many believers' hearts, this is what is standing, is the first. In their view of their relationship with God, it's like they're still coming to the first. God is near me. You, you hear it in what people say, Jesus walks beside me. Sounds good, but it's not the truth. Christ is in you is the truth. So, so here, 
the first down verse nine said, this is a symbol for the present time during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. They are physical regulations and only deal with food, drink, and various washings imposed until the time of the new order of reformation. But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, is what this translation, this translation I'm reading says, have come. He has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and, of, and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God? Therefore, because of this offering, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for the redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So he's the mediator. <laughs> and it goes on, and I, and I love the next, next few verses. I'm sorry if I read you the whole chapter, but so be it. Where a will exists, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will is valid only when people die, since it's never in effect while the one who made it is living. That is why even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood or silver blood. So when Moses read that first covenant, what did he do? He sealed it with blood. He, he sprinkled blood upon him. Go back and study it out. So now the blood we're joined to is the blood of Christ. We're not joined to the old covenant blood. And Christ is the administrator of his own will. Not only did he die, that the will went in force, he raised from the dead to become the administrator of his own will. So now we what whatever he gave us in a will, he's who administrates it. How good do you suppose that is? Because he says, This is what it is, folks. I've cleansed your conscience, he says. <laughs> You're complete so so who makes this sure to us is him he is the surety of the covenant amen so as high priest he entered in to the holy of holies 
obtaining eternal redemption. Eternal. It's done. Finished. Complete. That we have access unto the Father by him. I, want, I, I was going to read the rest of this, but we'll just have to uh, wait maybe next week because I want to do, you, you know, just talk to you about that and then open things up for us. But we have access to God. If, if Christians would get a hold of this simple reality, in the old covenant, God dwelled with Israel. Get a hold of that. He wasn't way up in the sky somewhere. Now, he filled heaven and earth. You could say he was everywhere because David said that. But he was near them. So, so they weren't down here on earth as the Israelites, and God was somewhere else. So even in the Old Covenant, that wasn't the concept of Israel. He was God in their midst. That was his coming as the, you know, when he showed up and he told Moses that he had not revealed himself by Jehovah to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was coming as God in their midst. So at that point on, he began to be known as God in their midst. He was a God of covenant, and he was dwelling in the midst of Israel. Now, that was a type and shadow. So they set up a tabernacle. They had a sanctuary. They had a priest. And the glory of God entered that tabernacle. Right? But that's a copy, the writer of Hebrews says. That's a copy of the truth. So now the true tabernacle, Hebrews 3 says, Christ as a son over his own house, whose house you are. So the true tabernacle of the Lord, the true sanctuary of God, is this people that God has brought out for himself. In order that the glory of God would be revealed in it. That the glory of God would appear in the house. See, see get a hold of this. In the Old Covenant, God wasn't just in the house. He appeared in glory in the house. The glory of the Lord filled the house. The glory of the Lord filled the house. My Lord. And see, see what we conceptually think. When we, when we preach God far away from us, what we're declaring is this glory is somewhere else. Can't be realized now. 
And most of the time when people talk about glory, they're not even talking about the glory of the Lord filling you. They're calling glory something else. <laughs> but anyway, that's Hebrews 3, verse 6. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So the house that God inhabits in glory, to show up in glory in, is you and I. And the measurement of the house is Christ. So the word that we enter in there, that's why, that's why we have to be built up in him. That's why Paul talks about being built up in Christ because as we're built up in him, the reality of this glory is becoming greater in you and I. See, see we, we come to an understanding that God is in us, and that's a great understanding. But now we come into an understanding that there's an increase of the God that's in us as Christ is increased. So, so as there's a comprehension of him in our hearts, a greater measure of understanding of his death, burial, and resurrection in our hearts, there's a greater reality of this glory of God operating in our midst. That's just how it works. Amen. We are built up in him. Well, I'll stop right here tonight and we'll pick this up next week. So I'm going to stop here.